seeing is believing and I have no proof of what I saw that day other than what I can describe. It was huge. It was like the weightlifter of cats. I think he's seen a black leopard, no doubt about it. He's just a guy taking his dogs for a walk who's bumped into something that he can't explain and wants to tell people without being mocked about it. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Hi everyone, a warm welcome to episode 34. Good to be back with you as we creep into October 2020, if you're hearing this one as scheduled. Coming up now is our promised discussion on the misfits, or oddball large cats. We're going to hear from two different guests who have each seen a cat which doesn't resemble one of our three main suspects of cats reported in Britain. And as we know, those are the black panther, the tan-coloured puma, cougar, mountain lion, and the lynx. Before we meet our first guest, just to indicate that misfit cats do sometimes get described, here is a short extract from a note I once received from the late Trevor Beer, who was a key researcher in Devon and Exmoor and who we mentioned in episode 3. So this is a note I got from Trevor in 2010 and includes the following. A few more recent sightings, one of a black big cat and, oddly, a cat with all the markings of a European lynx but with a long, curved-up tail. So there we go. It's nice to hear the words of one of the early pioneers of the subject, and we can compare that description with what is coming up from our first guest. And she is Amy Louise, and we'll be talking about a sighting she had in Mid-Hampshire, where she lives. And this event occurred in mid-July 2020. So welcome to the show, Amy Louise. Hello. Thanks for coming on, Amy Louise. And I know this event was a real shock to you at the time. Tell us what happened one evening, wasn't it, in July? It was, yeah. I think it was the 6th of July. It was 8.30ish, but it was still light outside. It wasn't dark when I saw the big cat. I was driving down the countryside and in front of me walked either side of the road. There's almost like a foresty woodland area on each side that then goes on to like a meadowy field. And right, massive animal walked in front of my car. It was only about three or four metres away. And it was still light outside, so it wasn't even a, oh, what is it? I can't quite tell. It was, oh, my goodness. I'll be honest, I was so shocked. Even now, trying to get the words out is quite difficult. And I slammed my brakes on because I was just in complete shock. And this beautiful animal just walked and it looked at me. It heard my car brake because I did quite an emergency stop. And it looked at me and it looked so majestic. It was such a surreal experience and one that the likelihood is I'll never get again. It wasn't scared. It was only three or four metres away from my car. So that's not far at all. It was just absolutely massive. And it just carried on walking after it looked at me for four or five seconds and went on to the woodland area the other side. It was it was amazing. So you nearly hit it, basically. How close were you to knocking this over? It was at least a couple of seconds away from it happening because I was, first of all, in just such shock that this massive animal and what it actually was when looking at it, 
that I think whether I was far away from it or not, I would have emergency broke anyway because I just sat still because I was so shook up about it. But I just remember how big it was. It was a very surreal experience for sure. We'll come on to the description in a second, but in terms of its awareness of a car coming presumably at a reasonable speed along that road, it was putting itself in danger the way it was crossing. You could tell it was in its own element. The only reason it looked at me or my car in that direction is because it heard my brakes obviously go. And it just looked at me for four or five seconds. It wasn't very long. It wasn't scared. I was expecting it to you know, try and run off or try and scamper off from being scared of something that it's probably not used to, which is what most like deer would do if you catch it in the headlights. But it didn't. It just looked at me and it just, you know, almost like when you see big cats in zoos, like just how they're in their own area. They're just walking slowly. It was just very relaxed. It didn't look scared. It didn't run off. It just carried on walking to where it was going just seemed very calm. To be honest, it just seemed like it was in its natural habitat. It wasn't scared at all. So you were really close. How quickly did you realise that this animal was a cat and nothing else? I almost want to say as instantly as I broke in my car, because like I said, it was light and it was so close to my car. If it was dark, maybe it's like, oh, it kind of looks like, but I'm not sure. There's not any way that could happen like in that moment because of how light it was. It was just 100% obvious straight away. Now, obviously, at the time, I didn't know what exact big cat it was just because of the description, like you said, we'll get into in a bit. But I knew it was a cat of some sort. I knew because of its size, it wasn't anything like a pet cat. None of the descriptions of what I know as like savannah cats and everything didn't match to any of those. In my head, it was more between like lion, puma, lynx-ish kind of thing between those three. That's what I thought initially, yeah. Okay, and the scale of it, it could kill a deer, could it? Yeah, 100%. Um, I honestly, in terms of dog size, I'd say almost Great Dane-ish. I used to have a friend that had Great Dane, so I'm very aware of the scale of a Great Dane. A Great Dane, I would say, in length, that was kind of what I was looking at. Yeah, not quite the height, because Great Danes are very tall. and massive. So could quite easily kill a deer? A hundred percent, if not, well, kill more than that. A hundred percent capable of doing that. Yes, but luckily, that's mainly what they do, it seems, yeah. Um, And it definitely wasn't wearing a collar, presumably, you could see that. No, no, a hundred percent wasn't. And do you know what, it's one of the things I did look out for, on purpose because when you're in that moment you do you know your mind plays tricks on you and you do think i'll just check that no and one of the first things i did look at as well was the tail because i knew that would tell me a lot no collar or anything on it at all okay well can we get to the detailed description can we start from the coloration and the head and the tail and anything else i guess so first of all the coloration the whole body was the same color there wasn't any spots or any discoloration in places It just seemed to be one block colour. It was a very light yellow colour, almost like a very light sandy Mm colour, which is why I thought a light lion colour at the beginning. In terms of tail, the tail was obviously very long. The shape of it was almost puma-ish, which is like that long, thick tail. 
whereas it didn't you know like a lion has a that bit of tough at the end of it that goes out it didn't have that uh the ears and this is where it gets interesting the ears were pointed up like a lynx ears are Mm -hmm. they did have black tufts on the top of them now if it was a lynx the tail wouldn't be what i saw so i knew that wasn't a lynx or could maybe be some type of lynx or some mixed breeding maybe happening over time i'm not sure the way i described it after i saw it to people like telling my partner about it and my family and friends was almost like getting images off google images and kind of putting like a lynx's ears with the body of a puma yeah that was the best way i could describe it yeah did it seem quirky in its identity and its form or did it just look natural did it seem a bit weird and misshapen with the wrong scale of ears and the wrong type of ears for its body or did you just think no that just looks like a natural cat and not too outlandishly different especially with the ears that's kind of what threw me off just because it's not something i've ever seen before if it looked more like a puma's ears then maybe it would look more natural to me I do think the way that it was and the way it was acting was very confident and comfortable, which to me means that within the surrounding area, maybe it's not somewhere new that it's been. Maybe it's been there for a while or, you know, it just seemed very comfortable. And it seemed really healthy. Like, you know, like how we see fox and some of the fox look obviously very starved and scrangly. I just looked very healthy. And I was impressed by that because I did think, oh, well, nature's done its job. What about the total time this took and the total time you had to actually view it? So it looked at me for, like I said, four or five seconds. I would probably guess it like somewhere between like 15 to 20 seconds-ish to walk across the road so elegantly, yeah. Even now, what are we, a couple months later, and I'm still like, when I talk about it, I get very like, you know, you never expect to see something. And once you do, you're like, oh, my goodness, everything changes in your head about everything. So, yeah, it definitely opened my eyes. You were telling me, I think, on emails at the time that if anybody had been behind you, there would have been a crash. I'm very lucky no one was because in that situation at that time, there wasn't enough time to look behind me to check if anyone was there because I was going to hit them. That was what I was faced with. So I just kind of did what I had to do at that time. Luckily, no one was behind me, but it could have been an accident, a big one. Yes, gosh. If you had to be forced to say, it's not an oddball cat, it's not a misfit, it's one of the known species, you've got to pin it down, what would you go for? What would you say? The best description I can give is that due to its head, the head of the puma being a bit smaller compared to the the body size, um, that to me means, like from looking online, that's more the pumerish side of things rather than a leopard or things like that. Um, so for me, I would say it was more a puma with a lynx's ears. That's the best way I could describe it. How significant were the tufts on top of the ears? Some of the lynx's ears, the Google images, some of them are absolutely massive and really, really long. They weren't that long. I'm going to say maybe like an inch. So it definitely had a black strandy tuft beyond the ear tip. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. How big a scale, proportionally, were the ears compared to a normal puma photo? 
in terms of the ears with its head, it kind of looked a bit odd and kind of like someone kind of glued them on. (laughs) (laughs) You said it was all one colour. This was what I might call it from what you're describing, a honey blonde colour. Yeah, that's actually a good description of it. Did you see the underside at all? Because they tend to have a sort of more creamy underbelly and muzzle. I saw only a little bit just because of the way it was walking. Um, It wasn't that obvious, but only as it walked and his back legs moved that you could slightly see underneath. And it was lighter colour than the body. You told me uh, on emails that you had to just park in a lay-by to recover. Yes, I did. Not straight away. I wanted to kind of clear the area first and get out there a bit further away (laughs) first to make sure it was okay. But yeah, um, I had to kind of gather my thoughts. And I remember sitting there just in silence thinking, what have I just seen? Well, I know what I saw, but I was just freaking out a little bit. And then I phoned lots of people, spoke to my partner, and he was like, what? He was so shocked. Seeing a big cat is one thing, but seeing a big cat that doesn't even fit any of the known descriptions, it was a double problem for you, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Um, It's fair to say some people didn't believe me. (laughs) And a lot of people, I guess I've heard people say this again in your podcast, which is, well, why does anyone take a photo? Now that I've been in that situation, I can hand on heart say, unless you're in that situation, like that close, and you're in a shocked, kind of scared situation, I literally froze. And not only that, I was driving anyway. So my phone was in my bag and it was in the back and that that was impossible for me anyway. But even if my phone was next to me, you know, if someone's chasing after you or something, you either freeze or you, you know, you run. For me in that situation, I literally froze and I was there for a while. So even taking a photo, it's not going to happen. You're getting a dash cam now? I'm looking to it, I'm not going to lie, because you just never know. <laughs> this is where I come into it, because I go to Mid-Hampshire because I've got family there. My dad and sisters live there, so I see them quite regularly. Yeah. If you had to identify one woodland and bit of forestry where I take my dog for a walk when I'm there, it is exactly where you are. So it's an incredible coincidence that it is. you've identified my stomping ground. Yeah. which is intriguing because people are going to be surprised but actually I quite enjoy it when I'm in a location and I don't know any background to big cat sightings and reports in that location so I switch off and I think I'm not going to be bothered looking for cat poo and and tracks I'm just gonna relax and and enjoy other bits of nature and look at the landscape and chill out and forget about big cats and there probably aren't any because nobody's reporting them here anyway and now you've gone and wrecked all that for me I'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) no in fact it's made it more exciting and I think I've told you haven't I that I have found a deer trail a really good deer trail there there are many deer trails there so really you know put trying to think you could if it came back again you'd have a chance of getting it with one trail camera is maybe a bit ambitious but there is one you never know yeah i've done it and i put an old cronky old camera out there that doesn't matter if it gets seen and stolen but it's doing the job it's filming so far muntjac and roe deer and foxes and badgers and they're all using this one big trail and it's wow. it's skirting a key fence line so they've almost got to go there so you know every two or so months i'll check it and keep us podcast listeners posted if anything happens yeah there's a lot of activity there 
And it's one of those places where you'd imagine that animals would get knocked down on the road, to be honest, because it's one of those rural roads where people do absolutely hammer along. An animal could easily get knocked down. So how do you feel about people disbelieving you? You've come to terms with it and expect it, I suppose. I did, yeah, just because I like to look at things that some people aren't sure on and see if I can prove it being, you know, right or not. And then when I started discussing all the things that all line up together, like, for instance, Dangerous Animal Act and things like the circus and zoos, you know, all those years ago, it is possible. And obviously now I know it it 100% is because I've seen it. But before that, it was very much a, I knew it was possible. Had some people that did believe me, had some people that haven't. I've had mixed things. But even now, I go down that same road every night and I drive slow now past it because I just never know. Like I look both sides. Me and my partner were there a couple of weeks ago and we were looking both sides because we're like, oh, you never know, you might see something or, you know, still looking. Occasionally people do see something again, but rarely. But I agree, you've got to look. It's also intriguing to be more alert, isn't it, and notice things? Yeah. And of course, just pre-dusk is a good time. It's when they are coming out, it's when the deer are about, when they are starting to do their stuff and it's their time. And that was it, that dim light before dusk proper in summer. Yeah, and One thing... Yeah? Oh, sorry. Yeah, go on. One thing I did think about um, after the viewing, well, a couple of days after, because I was still very much in a shock wave which was obviously with covid happening Mm. uh this year i did wonder if maybe obviously because there's a long period of time where people aren't going to work a lot of people working from home or not working at all the roads are quieter it kind of did cross my mind that obviously as the roads are quieter more animals are maybe moving out expanding a little bit more and maybe you know the deer are going further or foxes and then I thought maybe that's the reason why I saw it, was because maybe it's following these animals. Maybe deer and the predator of deer are feeling that crossing the road is not such a big a risk as it was pre-COVID because there just isn't so much traffic. Very interesting, yeah, because I think it's very difficult to judge how much COVID has affected big cat sightings because there would be big cat sightings anyway. Mm, yeah. I think some are because of COVID and some are not. I don't think we'll ever know, you know what, what proportion are due to lockdown and COVID. So a tricky one. You found this sort of exciting, haven't you, more than anything? Very much. It's going to affect your life and your attitude to nature and cats, isn't it? Yeah. I'm personally, I've always been an animal lover anyway, wildlife, anything. But now that I've seen a big cat, it's got to the point where I'm like, I talk about it so often because I'm one of the rare people that that have seen it and saw it so close and nearly run it over in quite honesty. Like that's, it was a very close call. And especially the fact it also doesn't look like the usual puma, which again is an added thing to the whole thing. So this to me is a very interesting situation. And for me, it's very exciting because if people like me or other people that are on your podcast if we don't share these stories a lot of people either see things or might have seen something or did see something but they don't talk about it because they're scared people are gonna call them things or not believe them and really what needs to happen is the more people that talk about it the more that these things can be shared and the more knowledge that can be 
you know shared about her it's about all about education really so that for me is a very exciting thing to be helping that great along the way yeah yeah that's very nice so you'd like science to try and grapple with it and understand it better and and uh, people's reports are going to help that yeah exactly there's so many reports over the whole of the uk but I just think there needs to be more talk of it. I just don't think there's enough of it, which is why a lot of people are like, oh, no, you're not telling the truth. That isn't possible. So the more people that talk about it, the more education there is on it and more people will hear about it. And then hopefully more people will then come out and tell people their story. That's what I think needs to happen. So it's made you really determined because of how profound and close it was and what an interesting, unusual animal it was. It strikes me that what we're hearing from you is, is your determination to try and help sort of get to the bottom of it a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Are you picking up that you've got to be careful to your friends and contacts, you don't become a big cat bore and the person who's always going on about that blasted big cat? Yeah, it's got to the point. I mean, I've had to sort of rail it in a little bit just because when I get excited about something, I really like to get myself involved in it. Yeah, I've had to rail it down a little. <laughs> Yeah, because it also can dominate conversations, can't it? I often don't mention it because I just feel, well, if I mention it, it's going to dominate the next half hour and <laughs> there's other things. That'll... So true. It is very true. Yeah. So what are your views more generally about big cats living in the wild in Britain? I like that they're out there in terms of nature. There should always be an animal that, in terms of the way food chains work. There needs to be a bigger animal out there. And that way, sort of everything sorts itself out, like the deer population, fox population, et cetera, et cetera. As nature goes on, that needs to happen, whether it's with a big cat or something else. But what I'm concerned about is that things like letting out exact locations of sightings, because that for me is a worry just because there'll be a lot of people that don't want such an animal to be out there. And I understand why for some people because that they could be scared um, that, you know, they could come into a town or something. And But I think nature's done its job. You know, there's a reason why we don't see them very often. And if we do, it's normally countryside-ish. There's no reason for them to come out into towns or into local areas because everything they need is in the woods or woodland areas. And mm. um, they've got their food, water. So as long as we don't affect them, they don't affect us. What's wrong with them being around? We just live equally and carry on. The concern is that people go out and try hunting these animals. And that's for me, is not okay. It's kind of that balance of giving enough education about it, but not giving exact locations. You don't want people going out trying to capture the animal or shoot it, etc. I don't think that's right. Yeah. And this was only three months ago. Yeah. What if we knew that they were causing trouble? Would you change your view? Uh, I guess it kind of depends on the situation. If they were causing an issue, the bigger question would be, although it's horrible, and I know that it would be horrible if, some, for instance, someone was to get hurt, the question would be more, why has it done that? Because they've lasted so long where they've been living and not come out. So the bigger question is, well, why has this happened now? Has something happened in their habitat that has changed? So I think it's a much bigger picture than that, although it's not nice, for, obviously, for someone to be hurt. 
Yeah. But what about something like domestic cats? If we knew that some of them were really predating domestic cats, would that change your view? I think it's kind of one of those questions, which is if it happens, think about it. But until it does, um, I'm not worried about it. It probably is happening in some places, is my reckoning. Back to your point earlier about talking about it. Talking about it may help us think it through more, to be honest. And mm, Absolutely. For some of their potential problematic behaviour, if there is problematic behaviour, it may be that we can adapt and take some steps to minimise the risks or the impacts of their potential problematic behaviour on some things we couldn't. But by thinking that through, that's helpful, perhaps. Yeah, there's some things you can control and there's other things you can't. But until we learn about these things, there's no way of knowing if we were to get into a situation like that, how we'd handle it. I suppose the other thing about this incident is that this location, this general area, is not really known for big cat reports and sightings. As I was saying earlier, you know, I was enjoying being exempt from big cat (laughs) vibes. Oh, before I came along. (laughs) You know, it is a surprise. A big cat sighting in that location is a surprise, which marks it out even more. Yeah. Something it proves to me, which I don't know if you feel the same, Rick, which is that in a place like where we're talking about is that it shows obviously as well if you look on google about all the cat sightings and where they're located Mm. it just shows that maybe it just doesn't matter where exactly you are as long as they have what any animal or human needs which is water food and a habitat they can live wherever but again we don't know there's a lot of people that don't like i said earlier don't talk about it and haven't done anything with the information so although there's how many sightings in the uk is loads how many more would there be if people actually spoke about it there's probably a lot of people that have seen something but aren't talking about it sure it may be that there's many more proportionally that don't get reported than do so and we'll never know that obviously well we'll never know yeah that's it it's a possibility yeah yeah is there anything else you want to say before we close I'd just like to say thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And I'm very happy to be sharing it. Thank you for that. I mean, that's a good part of what the podcast is for. And doing an episode on the oddballs or the misfits, you know, is tricky because we're sort of guessing in a way, aren't we? You know, we, <laughs> is this a sort of weird pume or is it a hybrid or what? And it doesn't sound very scientific, but we, in a way we need a bigger sample. So it'd be nice if other people can get in touch who've had anything similar. And that's why I mm. read out that one from the late Trevor Beer, who was a great researcher. I mean, that one he mentioned was more like a lynx than a puma, but with a long tail. And you do get those, you know, I have heard a few like that, actually, you know, a weird lynx rather than a weird puma. I think inbreeding with different cat species needs to be talked about because obviously if the Dangerous Animal Act came out, and not only that, but circuses released animals or... You know, there's a few occasions where zoos have lost animals, etc. although a lot of them have been found. Say if they were found a week later or two weeks or whatever it could be, that's still a week or two that they've had in the area where they could have bred with another cat. Maybe it doesn't matter what type of cat. And then it's kind of got to this weird inbreeding of lots of different mixes of cats, which is maybe why not a lot of people talk about the misfits as you say because maybe they're looking at it maybe they're not quite sure what they've seen yeah the skeptics of course would say oh well it's more likely that hybrids would often not be fertile but i think that the counterpoint is well 
depends on your sample, depends on environmental factors, and maybe nature's found a way in some cases. And that's not to say that there's hundreds of thousands in the UK or anything. Mm. That's not to say there's loads. It's just to say that, you know, it doesn't even matter, even if there's 500 in the UK. It's just whether or not how long these animals will be around for. So I don't know where your thoughts on that are. It's a bit like what we said earlier, we'll never have perfect knowledge, will we, about what we're not getting reported. But also, I think we don't know the full extent of the reports because they're not reported to all one central place. You know, they can be reported these days to Facebook, to people who investigate like me, of which there are many around the country. And the more that you get active, the more you get trusted and the more they get reported to you. But they can also go to the local media, to the police, to all manner of places. So we don't know how many are reported because there's no one central place. So don't think we should speculate. Why I am in the camp that feels there could be 250 at least of each of the main types of cat. Don't know about lynx because the sample of reporting isn't as big for lynx. People are not routinely reporting them with defects or obvious defects. They may have some slight defects, but they're not coming across as, you know, really apparent. And so if there were only 50 to 100 of them, you would get what we see in Florida, the pumas in Florida, where there's a very low number. Often they do have defects. They've got deformities. And we don't see ones yeah. with very, very stubby short tails, which was a key sign of inbreeding. Mm. People report fit, confident, healthy cats. Well, yeah, it seems like the genetic health is diverse enough to allow that. It would be different if there were lower numbers. So, But I think we don't know what's going to happen in 20, 30, 40 years. That's the key thing. Yeah. I'd like to know that they're not being bothered, they're in their natural environment. Like you said, the ones that have been seen have all been quite healthy by the looks of it. I keep saying, but nature's done its job in terms of keeping everything go round in a circle. So it's always good to know. Yes, that's an interesting way of looking at it. One final quick point just occurring to me Yeah. before we go. If you had to say whether that one, say it's a puma, you know, it's a weird puma yeah. from what we've heard, would you reckon it was more likely to be an inbred puma or a hybrid of puma and something else? I think I would say inbred. Yeah. Although it was absolutely beautiful animal, it didn't look quite right. But again, like I said, I've never seen something like that. So maybe if loads of people had seen it and I'd seen one before, I wouldn't have seen it as being a weird thing. But it just looked like you cut the ears off of the lynx. Right. Well, I think we must both go away and do a bit of homework. Yes bit more homework to do but it makes it interesting doesn't it 100 percent. yeah i'll look into it yeah great well thanks so much for coming on the show and my walks in that area will never be the same again and <laughs> it's great to hear that you're really motivated to get into the yeah. subject and explore it further so amy louise thanks ever so much for coming on big cat conversations Word of the Week follows shortly, but first, a quick mention of a new book that's going to help me with my homework on inbreeding and defects in pumas. And I know that Amy Louise is currently reading this book as a follow-up as well. The book is Cat Tale by Craig Pittman. He's a journalist and he writes well, so it's an enjoyable read. The book's subtitle is The Wild Weird Battle to Save the Florida Panther. So it takes you through the whole saga of the declining small population of pumas in Florida. 
and in Florida they call their pumas panthers, just to be distinct. The book discusses the observed defects in the puma population from inbreeding and the genetic bottleneck in Florida, and it looks at the rescue efforts which involved importing Texas pumas to top up the numbers and the genetic diversity. And we discussed this topic in episode 11 of the podcast, if you haven't heard that one already. And the population trend for Florida's pumas is looking more positive now, so there are signs of hope. It's a thoroughly engaging book. That's Cat's Tale by Craig Pittman. Now for our word of the week, and that is landscape connectivity. The subject comes up briefly later in the show during our discussion with our next guest, Joel. Joel and I talk about two aspects of connectivity, first in the sense of helping wildlife because it means connecting up nature reserves and other wild spaces in the landscape to get better linkages for mammals, for birds and for insects to shelter in and travel between. So that's all about making bigger and joined up places for wildlife and even simple things like keeping a good healthy network of hedgerows. And second, in our thinking on connectivity, Joel and I were discussing how big cats would use links and connections through the landscape and the routes and linkages they would use, perhaps including railway lines, both current and disused ones. So landscape connectivity is important for the health of our wildlife in general and for thinking about the lives and the movements of large cats. So there's our word of the week, connectivity or landscape connectivity or habitat connectivity. For our next guest, we are with Joel, and Joel is a countryside ranger by profession, and Joel is based in Hastings, and in the autumn of 2018, Joel had a sighting on some marshy land at the edge of Hastings. We'll hear all about that in a minute. It's nice to have a countryside ranger back on the show. We last spoke to a countryside ranger in episode 20, hearing about the jungle cat type cats being seen in Scotland. Joel, welcome to the show. Hi, Rick. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Joel, for prompting this episode. While we've been communicating, we've actually, you have reached a conclusion about what this cat is most likely to be, and it's a very interesting one. So we'll hear about that a little bit later through your discussion, because it's nice to hear how you worked out what it probably was. But first of all, you've actually had a good observation of a black leopard in a zoo and a puma, mountain lion, in the wild. So it might be good to hear about those first, if we could. My family had some friends in Houston, in Texas, and we went and travelled around there quite a lot. We went to a ranch up in the hill country part in Texas, this sort of Willie Nelson country. We were staying in a like a log cabin, if you like, overlooked quite a wide valley. One morning I saw an enormous white stag, and that got myself, my mum and my brother interested in looking out the window a lot more. And then the next morning, we were very surprised to see, when we were out there looking for this stag again, across the other side of this valley was an enormous puma walking along the, like I said, the other side. Very, very muscular, very, very purposeful the way it walked across. Never looked at us, never even sort of acknowledged that there was anything else in the world apart from whatever it was walking towards. Probably about 100 yards away, something like that, across this ravine. Even at that range, you can see the muscles, you can see the thick hind legs, um, you can see the short face, if you like. Yes, and it was very, very interesting to see that, and especially as I was only about 10 years old. 
but that gave me my experience of seeing a puma in the wild. Um, we obviously spoke to the you know the guys at the ranch and whatever, and they said it was very unusual to see one up in those parts. So we consider ourselves very lucky. At that age, presumably, that really left a lasting impression. It's quite cool to see a mountain lion in its native country. And presumably you went there with no expectation or, or hardly any knowledge of them at that age. I believe, I think it would have been explained to me what it actually is. Because obviously as a kid, you know what a lion is out in Africa. <laughs> um, even a kid you know, like myself, I was always really into animals. But I don't think I would have known then what a cougar or a mountain lion is. From my memory, it was this enormous thing that was the size of a lion. As you do as a kid, you obviously think things are much bigger than they are. But as I said, it was still very impressive. I'm picturing it in my mind's eye now. All I can picture is just a beige bit of muscle with four legs, basically, walking along. Yeah. Um, that's what my childhood memory of it is. Yes. How long was the sighting for, do you think? It seemed, and again, in memory, it seems like it was, uh, you know, a good 10 minutes or something. But I bet you it was no more than a minute walking along the top of this valley and then off into the shrubs and yeah. off it goes. That's good enough, though. A minute's not bad. Exactly. Uh, and it was just stealthily walking through, was it? Not actual stalking? No, not actually stalking. And I wouldn't even say it was that sort of stealthy. It was very the purposeful, would be the word I'd use. Is purposeful. Its head was fixed at a certain point, the other side of this clearing, if you like, that it was walking along. It wasn't stalking, it wasn't low to the ground, it wasn't trying to hide itself, if you like. But yes, very purposeful. It knew where it was going and it knew what it wanted to do. Your hosts, had they seen ones or seen it? No, again, they were very, very surprised. They were, you know, all sort of, wow, you've seen that? Oh my goodness, we've never seen that. And they've been living in Texas for 40 odd years. They'd lived in inner city Houston as well as out in the countryside. And when I went to visit them the second time, which was um, actually when I got to see the Black Panther, they were actually living out in the countryside then as well and still hadn't seen one ever. Yeah. So it just goes to show how rare that actually is for people that even live there. Yes. And Texas is, of course, a massive state. And yeah. And attitudes. A lot of people think that the Texans are sort of just gun-toting people who are going to be intolerant of pumas. Uh, my experience when I'm in the States of um, asking that question to people who live and work in Texas and especially work on mountain lion issues is that it just varies. You know, Some people absolutely love them to bits and think they're awesome creatures and very protective and others have got different attitudes. It's You can't stereotype everybody in a whole massive state in America, of course. Exactly. And I'm quite right with what you said. I mean... Only a couple, I would say, from the people that I spoke to were sort of, you know, I'll oh, shoot the thing or whatever. And everybody else was just a big, wow, oh, I've never seen that. And I've lived here for X amount of years. And that's how they view it. Like you said, most people actually love seeing that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Great. And so let's get to the Black Panther. And it was it a black uh, leopard or black jaguar? This was a zoo specimen. Yes, it was. Definitely a black leopard. And um, we were lucky enough um, when I actually took my second trip when I was a bit older. Um, I was about 20 when I went out to Houston with my now wife. And yeah, we went to Houston Zoo down there. And we were quite lucky, actually, that uh, obviously you can go to a leopard enclosure and they can either be fast asleep in the shade somewhere or quite tucked away at the back. So they're quite shy, obviously, um, even in zoos. But this one, we were quite lucky. He was actually having a bit of a pace at the front of the enclosure as we were going past it. Mm -hmm. So we had a very, very good view. And we were just stuck there staring at this thing for, I mean, it must have been half an hour, 45 minutes. And we stood staring at this um, outside this enclosure. Until you see a leopard, you don't quite understand the muscle of them. This one was obviously a, a captive specimen. So 
they obviously don't get the exercise the wild ones do. They get uh, richer foods. Um, so they're going to be a little bit podgier, if you like. But still, this thing, the, the muscle of it, the shoulders and the, the forearms and the head, um, the head was one of the first things that you'd really notice in the muscle around the jaw. Incredibly thick set animals they are. Was it black? I mean, because sometimes they can be chocolatey brown or they can fade that way with age. It was black and the rosettes were a jet, jet, jet black so that you could really see them. And I'd say, you know, like people always say when they're on this show, when they say about, um, you know, oh, it's about the size of a Labrador or something like that. Yeah, it's about the same shoulder height, if you like, of a big Labrador, but there's no mistaking the two because of the muscle density. And I cannot see how anyone, even out in the wild, could, if they get a good look at it, the difference between a black Labrador and a black leopard is huge. If you were to see the two of them put together. Yes, not just about length of the tail and length of the body. It's just the poise and the movement. Yeah. And the shoulder. I mean, a lot, lot of the witnesses we hear on the podcast, they talk about the shoulder blades, don't they, as well? Really pronounced. Exactly. And as he's pacing up and down the front of the, uh, the enclosure, or she, shall I say, yes, you can really see those massive shoulder blades, like almost like shark fins. Hmm. Every time they take a step, it's like a, yeah, like a shark fin at the coming up of its shoulder. They're so pronounced, something that a dog, sort of physically cannot do, cannot replicate, even if it is stalking. They're obviously fit as a fiddle, but they do have this dense muscle about them. I mean, that's the benefit of zoos. I know zoos, you know, are controversial, but you can get that observation and spending time observing them. It's so useful to do your homework and understand them. Exactly. Like you say, they may be controversial, but seeing an animal like that, and obviously all other animals in the zoos as well, is not the same as, you know, in front of a TV screen. You can't grasp sort of, you know, even, you know, how they smell even. Yes. You know, different things like that. You just can't grasp that when watching on TV. And you're not going to have that time in the wild if you ever encounter one in the wild anyway. Yeah, exactly. Great. As you say, this is so useful reference because you've seen the two prime bigger candidates of large cats seen in Britain. And so you've got some reference for what's happening next. So yes, could you take us through what happened in the autumn 2018 on the edge of Hastings? Yeah, sure. I have two terriers, two little mongrel terriers, and they come out with me everywhere. They're very much working dogs. Um, so they have to have a good, you know, good hour, a good couple of hours a day walk. I take them all different areas around Hastings. We're quite lucky, even though it is a town, we're surrounded by Greenbelt. And one of the the sort of the first areas of Greenbelt we have is the Filsham Reed Bed. It's about a mile away from the coast, um, just behind our landfill site. It's a big marshy wetland area that's very, very nicely protected by the landfill site from any wind. It's a couple of degrees warmer down there than anywhere else. Nice spot to see wildlife and to walk the dogs down there. It's got a tram track just to one side of it as well. I was going along one of these paths. It was about 4.30 in the afternoon. It was just starting to get dark. I want a bit of a, a rise coming round a corner and going down a slight hill. And I say a very, very slight hill. And as I look down the hill, I can see down because there's no leaves on the trees and the reeds are quite high, but I can see over the top of those. Luckily, my dogs couldn't see down there. But there is a huge black cat just sat at the end of this path staring at me. Now, I slammed the brakes on straight away, called the dogs back. Luckily, they were close enough to me that I could get them back and on the lead very, very quickly. Otherwise, they'd have had a go at it, definitely. As I've got them on the lead, I can start to take more of a look at it. This thing is sat on its haunches, if you like, just staring up the path, looking at me. The first thing I noticed, he's got these big black pointed ears. 
And then as he's staring at me, he turns sideways a little bit. And then I notice these gleaming yellow eyes. I mean, we're talking about five seconds tops. He then gets up very, very gracefully, like water almost, turns, walks across the pathway and melts into the bush that goes up and towards the actual train track. As he turned, I can see, number one, he's jet black, but there is a definite purple sort of sheen to his coat. And even I was about sort of 50 yards away, something like that. It was about sort of three and a half to four feet tall, which obviously straight away rules out your average house cat to me. And then as he turns over, uh, and like I say, I see this purple sheen. I can then see as the wind hits his coat, I can see it's a lot longer. It's either shaggy or woolly. I don't know how you'd describe it because I can see the wind parting his coat, if you know what I mean. You can actually see there's some length of coat there, which again made me think, you know, what the hell is that? Because... I know what a leopard looks like. I know what a puma looks like. Even if it was a puma that was jet black, I would be able to tell, oh, that's what that is. But it wasn't quite right. It just Nothing was quite right about it. It was very slender in build as well, as it turned. Once I see the hair start to part, you can see its actual width from the bottom of its belly to its back, if you like. And it wasn't a huge set animal. As he sort of melts away and goes off into the shrubs, I let the dogs off. I just thought, well, don't know what I was thinking, to be honest with you. But I just thought I'll just let the dogs go and see what they make of it. Bearing in mind where they are, they can't actually see anything. As I let the dogs go, sure enough, they run straight down the path and go to the exact spot that this cat was sitting. The exact, exact spot. And obviously they're barking away, wondering where, you know, wondering what they're smelling. They were behaving unusually, I will say, because my dogs are pretty predictable. When they see a fox, they make a certain noise. When they see rabbits, they make a sort of a different sort of noise. This was a very, very excited, you know, what the hell are we dealing with here? Staring at me and they would not take their eyes off from this bush where this cat went away. And like I said before, they didn't see it go there either. So it's all from their smell. You didn't think you were putting them at risk doing that? I don't know what came over me. I don't know if it was a, I mean, I didn't feel threatened or, you know, scared by this thing at all, even though it was, if I put both my dogs on each other's shoulders, it still would be bigger than them. I don't know if it was a subconscious thing, so I um, just thought, you know, I'm going to let the dogs go and just <laughs> see what, you know, I don't know what it was, but I just had this urge, and before I even thought about it, I bent down and just unclipped them and just let them go. You wanted to do an experiment for confirmation or not, or just to see what they made yes. of it, and you, yeah, and that, that was a bigger, stronger urge than any sense of protection. Exactly. I've looked down this path, I've first seen this big cat and to be honest with you, my dogs aren't great with other dogs either so again it was quick let's get them on the lead you know whatever this thing is even if it is a, a labrador or something like that even though with the big ears i probably would have thought it was a german shepherd if you can picture a german shepherd when they're sat bolt upright with their ears like that that was very much what it was like but then yeah within that five seconds of looking down the path seeing it getting the dogs back clipped on again looking back up again we're talking a span of 20 seconds in total and then it sort of melted off. And without thinking, like I said, I've just immediately unclipped the dogs and say, lads, go for it. See what you can find. <laughs> How quickly did you sense it was a cat when you saw this animal? I near enough straight away knew it was a cat. I mean, I was pretty close to it. And I saw that it would be a pretty funny looking dog. But then what really confirmed it to me was as it gets up and turns to the side, Number one, I've got a lovely size guide because the path itself obviously can be measured. The path itself is about four feet wide. He has totally covered that path as he's turned. 
and gone and walked across it. And then on top of that, it was the movement that it made. It was very fluid. It was like water. The way that it turns around and it just very fluidly slinks off into the bushes and then off onto where the train track is. A dog doesn't move like that. A dog either bounds confidently or goes up, or even if a dog is slinking, it will go a lot more flat to the ground and rub its belly along. A dog is not capable of that fluid movement as it turns. And then, as I said, as its body has cleared the path, its tail then followed it. Long, long tail. I would say just about as long as the body. Again, about as thick all the way down, if you like, the tail was. I wouldn't say it was as long as what you would say an actual leopard was. It was, imagine if a leopard has had the, the end of its tail chopped off. You know, that was what it was. It didn't look quite right. It didn't look the full length it should be. And then at the same time, you know, like I said, with the wind, um, I could see it parting its sort of shaggy coat, if you like, its shaggy fur. The same thing could be seen on the tail as it went off as well. There was this parting of the fur you could see. It was quite a strong wind as it walked off. And that gave me, number one, another clue that this doesn't really look like a dog. It doesn't look like a leopard or a puma. But then it doesn't really match up even with what I think it is, to be honest yeah the tail is the big off-putter for me yes but also the ears tell us about the ears so yeah the ears one of the very first things i noticed i mean when i first emailed um when i very first emailed you rick one of the things you said was how could you have seen the size of those ears or there's the shape of the ears from how far away you were you'd have to have been pretty good eyesight or binoculars which is a fair comment my reply to that to you was that i think i may have undersold how big the ears were <laughs> <laughs> Because they really were. If you were to put the cat in front of anybody, I guarantee you the very first thing that they would have said was, number one, it's black, and number two, big pointy ears. This was a complete surprise. You had not heard of any sightings in this area, and you were not person looking for big cats because it wasn't on your radar, really. No, not at all. I mean, I've obviously, everyone's heard of the old the Beast of Bodmin. Until doing research into this subject, you just think that even after you've heard of the Beast of Bodmin, it's just some sort of fanciful creature out there. You know, Until doing research into this, I found out that you're actually talking about a black leopard, or for the most part, people are talking about a black leopard. And that's literally all I knew about it. And I've never heard of anybody else say anything about seeing anything like this until I saw my own and started talking to people about it. And then as soon as you start talking to people about it, all of a sudden, you get to hear loads of people, especially in you know the line of work that I was in, you know, saying about, oh, I, you know, I think I've seen this, I think I've seen that. And all of a sudden, the floodgates open and there's been loads of sightings. Quite an interesting one, though, which I heard about was actually very, very close to home. It's my actual, my mother-in-law, about 15 years ago, saw a black cat in the Filsham Reed bed area um, where I saw mine. So I sort of start talking to her about it. She didn't get a great view of it, just said it was an enormous black cat. She felt absolutely terrified. So, you know, got the dog on the lead, turned and went the other way. And after pushing her more on it and getting out maps, it turns out that where she saw hers was within 20 yards of where I saw mine. Good grief. It was that close. I mean, massive coincidence. I wonder how many more have seen a cat down there. Yes. Tell us about the habitats. Presumably even the landfill site has got some scraps and rats and gulls to um, scavenge on, but the reed bed itself would be good. Unfortunately for ground-nesting birds, I always worry about perhaps uh, in that situation, but are there muntjac deer and rabbits around there as well, perhaps? There's loads and loads of rabbits. Like you say, there's loads of birds down there. There's anything you can imagine. There's geese, there's swans, and then 
once you start going up into the landfill site, yeah, there may be scraps and different things like that. But, you know, rats, mice, anything like that, they're going to have a pop at all of those. As far as deer goes, I've actually only just started tracking deer. And I've been walking around this area for years and years and years without a sign until this summer. All of a sudden, I start seeing tracks everywhere. And it is so dense. It's one of those types of places where there could be two established footpaths, if you like, within 10 feet of each other. You wouldn't be able to see them. And you wouldn't be able to see a person stood on one. If you were the other side of the bushes, you know, they wouldn't be able to see you. It is that dense there. The landfill site is like a big hill, if you like, blocking the sea from um, this little marsh. So it's always a couple of degrees warmer. And that must be a godsend during the winter. So the big reveal. I've looked up every different type of cat that you could possibly look up. Typed it into Google, looking at images. Until you realise to put the word black in front of the cat, you don't actually realise that, you know, a lot of cats are melanistic. You just presume it's just the leopard that it happens to. So I just by chance typed in the word black serval. Sure enough, up it pops. Probably the closest thing that I have seen was, I think it was a picture for one in Africa, I believe, was a black serval. Definitely a black serval. Now, there's a couple of things that weren't quite right. Number one, servals don't have sort of woolly coats or sort of longer coats for the most part, which didn't really match up. Mm-hmm. Number two, servals have very, very pronounced long, lanky legs. Now, I didn't notice, and maybe it's just I didn't notice, but there wasn't really clear, long, lanky legs. Now, anyone that's seen a picture of a serval, you know exactly what I mean. They're very prominent. You cannot miss them. But that would have to be well out into the open, really, to notice that. Those legs are actually very well designed for the type of habitat you saw it in. Yeah, exactly. If you were to put a picture from where I was stood looking out into the reed beds, if you were to lay that picture over the top of, you know, South Africa, it looks identical. So like you said, with the long legs, the the long reeds, the, the long grasses they have down there, actually very, very perfect for it. Yeah, and they leap up and clutch egrets, don't they? So, so yeah. a heron would be uh, in danger in that kind of habitat. Yeah, definitely. We have several different varieties of geese that actually go down there. Well, anyone that's seen a, a video of a serval hunting, you see them going shooting either out of the grass or whatever as the bird tries to take off. It would be absolutely perfect for them down there. And aren't they a charismatic cat in their own way? Very distinct. Well, I think absolutely amazing animal. Obviously, I just saw one slinking across a path, if you like. Imagine walking along and seeing one of those coming rocketing out of the grass and taking a bird. It'd be a sight to remember, I'm sure. I have had one nailed-on report of a black serval. It was one of the rural shows where I meet people all day and take reports. And they said, we took a photo of it. They said we were at the Burnham-on-Sea in Somerset, and it was in the dunes. It was in the long grass at the back of the dunes, and it was just sitting upright, sphinx-like, and we could see its black head and pointy ears. And we managed to get a, a rubbish photo, but it does look like we're describing it. It's half decent. You can see that it's black serval-like. So at least I've had one other report of a plausible black serval. That was habitat, with long grass at the dunes at the back of the beach. The whole issue of the serval type cat is already starting to be compounded in our situation here in Britain because of the arrival of the savannah cat in recent years and the fashion that is having in the designer cat world and obviously the servals are used for that breed and so there is a sore stock just like jungle cats were out and about 20 years ago when the Chelsea was fashionable that did lead to some jungle cats being out and about 
we still get faithful reports of jungle cats today by some people. So some of yeah. them seem to have lived on. Whether they'll be a viable population, we don't know. Jungle cat is something that people could mistake for a fox. These meso-predator cats are more tricky. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Chatting it through with some of your professional colleagues and contacts, what do they make of it? What kind of reactions do you get from fellow countryside rangers and related professions? It's about 50-50. You get a lot of people that, especially when you get actual sort of scientific people, if you like, ones that are actually doing studies in the countryside at the very moment. Like I was working with people that were studying the American mink that was wandering around in Sussex. And mm-hmm. I spoke to them and they, you know, sort of almost laughed me out of the room. You know, oh, don't be ridiculous. We haven't got anything like that. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. What have you been smoking? That sort of thing. But then I talked to other people when I was actually working for a private company and I was doing um, some rangering, and they sort of talk about it almost as, well, what are you talking about? I thought it was common knowledge that we had those walking around the country. It's a total mixed bag. I've been told of quite a few different ones, you know. Yeah, I saw this black cat in a field. I saw a black cat running across the road. You know, I've, I've heard quite a few of those different ones from you know colleagues and people that I've bumped into at work. Yes, I do always feel Sussex is underreported a couple of counties for these cats. Definitely. There's so much woodland we've got around here. A lot of it are sort of a patchwork that are all connected together. Near enough, every woodland and every nature reserve is connected in some way. I mean, particularly if you look around Hastings, if you actually Google Earth Hastings, you look, it's a little town that is surrounded by green. And then it's the same with Eastbourne, the next town over, a little town surrounded by green. Nothing in between. So if a, an adult male leopard, you know, what his home range would be, how many square miles would that, you know, a lot of territory they would walk across. In Sussex, that's easy peasy. You can walk from one large area of woodland. You may just have to hop across a B road or something, and then you're straight onto the next one. No big deal. So you could do that more without being seen in a place like Sussex, is what you're saying? Yes, definitely. Farmland we've got around, which obviously private farmland. Not a huge amount of people will walk their dogs through that. That's another area. Unless the farmer's looking, who's going to see? Yeah, yeah. And you're so lucky to have that, what's called that connectivity. So many people in the nature conservation professions are striving to help create more connectivity between wilder places, between nature reserves, and to get better links for nature. And if you've got it half done for you in what's left of the nature conservation value landscape, that's great. Exactly. I mean, that matched with the train tracks. So we've obviously that goes for the whole nation. That's where I believe that these cats really, you know, make a living. We've got thousands and thousands of miles of train tracks that, you know, we never set foot on. Plus all of those that are unused now, we've got thousands of miles of. And that's an absolute perfect place for a secretive animal or a secretive cat to hide out. You know, no one's ever going to go there. You can nip out into these areas of forest or whatever and then come and hide out under a tree by the railway sleepers. Yes, and all the banks are full of rabbits and uh, you've got a linear path to walk along to get quick access up and down the landscape beyond that. I have one farm in Gloucestershire has got a disused railway on it, a very long linear path, and parts of it have got um, walkers and other parts hardly any human activity whatsoever. So there's big cat reports all around that location. So I know the farmer quite well, and he was very keen that I was to put some cameras up when I asked. So I put three along this disused railway. I started only putting one, and I thought, 
why aren't I getting much? Because my assumption was that all the mammals, the deer, the foxes, badgers, would be going along it. And in fact, they are not on this bit. So they're crossing it several times. Right. Very pronounced, severe mammal crossings actually going right across it. My thought that one camera would get them all is wrong. And in early August, the police had a report within 50 metres from one of my cameras on that bit of really? disused railway. A guy was letting off some racing pigeons on a small little minor road, which has a bridge across this railway track. He saw one, a big black panther, reported it to the police. They came and investigated and they noted to the farmer that there was a camera there. And he, he said, yeah, that's Rick Minter's cameras. You know, he's on the case so i've since put two more right where he saw it but you know i thought one would do but you know three in a sort of 150 meter stretch is and even then that might not cover the area so it shows you how difficult it is with a trail camera in those kinds of situations yeah definitely i think these cats toy with us as well with these uh, cameras yeah yeah so what do you make of the subject more broadly this has obviously really helped you think about it and get into the subject i guess that sighting out of the blue yeah, definitely. I never had any thought about it whatsoever before seeing um, what I saw. And then after that, not just concentrating on, you know, what servals we've got around here, but more broadly, the leopards, pumas and lynx and everything like that. We'll start off with lynx straight away. That's our native one, if you like. Anyway, we always had lynx, so no problem with that being here whatsoever. And they're pretty similar to a serval, aren't they, actually? Yeah, exactly. Similar sort of line. So that, I, I cannot see anybody having any problem with something like that being around here. As the, you know, the leopards and pumas go, until they start taking down grannies or whatever when they're out walking their dogs, I just think it's something you've just got to wait and see. I think we just have to be thankful that we've got something that's taking down the deer population and giving us a bit more um, variety in wildlife and just sit back and see what happens with it. I can't really see, you know, any sort of, big problems with it i'm an animal lover and i struggle to find a reason why you'd ever want to get rid of a wild animal i'm biased but i would always would really really struggle to think of anything other than positive that they're here i would love to see them studied properly and so that we can have real facts and figures about them and really get to understand what we've got walking around our woods and our wild places at the same time i don't envy the one that would have to do the research because it must be totally maddening because of how difficult and how elusive they are. That's even trying to track leopards in Africa. It's maddening enough to do that, let alone in this country. Yeah. One option is that you get certain set professions that are on the ground a lot, like rangers. And I do have some informal contact with some other rangers who do tip me off about things and enjoy keeping in touch about it. It might be interesting to get to a situation in 10 years' time or whatever it takes where there's a, a training option for people involved in outdoor activities, outdoor professions, including countryside rangers, for them to have a training course and be involved if they want, trying to help monitor and record, because those are the people who yeah. I think are you know, well-skilled and well-equipped to do it. And also, rangers have got the people skills. You know, This is citizen science, as we keep saying on the podcast. Yeah, yeah rangers are part of their whole approach to things is to liaise and network with people of all types and all backgrounds to get the you know eyes and the ears of the countryside feeding back to them exactly exactly the other cat that i've had very distinctly reported twice i think is ocelot i have twice had people say it was absolutely no doubt an ocelot which was smaller than a, a serval but distinct markings 
Yeah. When you get that report, you think, well, that was probably seems very credible the way they're describing it and whatever, and it was probably just a released, you know, or escape pet. Yeah. Yeah. They're very collectible. It's difficult to know about a black serval. You know, there's part of me thinks, oh, that could have been an escape pet. I don't think we've got black servals breeding on, to be honest. Uh, I would want a bigger sample to make the judgment from. But as you say, it might be difficult for people to distinguish them amongst a medium-sized black cat that they see, yeah. A, as a cat, and B, as a black serval rather than something else. But the key thing about the black leopard reports is the, if people see it, and most people do, is the astonishingly long tail, and that really helps really identify it as a likely leopard. Anything else you want to say? One of the first things that people say to me is, why didn't you get a picture of it? Yeah. A little story I can say for that is, where I used to work a couple of jobs ago, we were actually in a RAF low-fly zone. In the Ministry of Defence, sometimes they actually put down when their jets are going to be flying along this low-fly zone so that, for instance, farmers can get their sheep off of the hills and different things like that so they don't get too worried or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I've looked up on the internet and I've seen the exact time that this F-35 or Hercules is going to fly down this valley. You know, the exact time, and they are always on time perfectly. In that 10 seconds that they're flying down the valley, I obviously want to get a picture of a Hercules flying at 100 feet. How often do you think I was able to get my phone out and take a picture of it, even though I knew it was coming? So how easy do you think it would be to take a picture of something like that when you don't know it's coming? Yes, exactly. And it might be dawn or dusk or very low yeah, light. Exactly. Or you've got dogs with you that you've got exactly. to control. So, yeah, you're actually ruling out 90% of the situations when you could do it, I think. Yeah, exactly. You'd have had to have camera in hand at the ready, wouldn't you, to be... I would have had to have had camera ready on the correct setting, pointed in the right direction. And no dogs to worry about. Exactly. And no dogs. It's just so difficult... So you've got to think of an iPhone, you've got to, you've got to unlock it, you've then got to get to the camera or whatever and then point it in the right direction. You've already killed it like four seconds doing that. It is so, so difficult to get a picture. And then on top of it, what I actually say, my advice to anyone, obviously you may massively disagree with this for your um, knowledge and your information collecting, why bother getting a picture sometimes? Just stand there and enjoy what you're seeing. Take it in in your head. And you might actually be able to come up with a better description after taking a good look at it rather than a blotchy black blob on a bad picture. Sure. Yeah, it's much more difficult than people realise, but particularly with um, limitations of mobile phones, they may be improving, but they're still hugely limited, particularly when you try and zoom in. Exactly, exactly. Great. Okay. well, very grateful for all of that. And thank you for taking us beyond the usual candidates, because it's something we must do at times. And I think we just have to hope for more samples in time for us to gauge whether there's any lasting population or whether it's just the odd few vagrant oddball additional cats to the normal ones, which perhaps might be naturalising. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting, though, they're still acting in a very stealthy, natural, wild way, you would say, wouldn't you, from your experience? Oh, definitely, yeah. It wasn't scared of me. It was quite inquisitive looking at me, but then it was like it owned the place. The way it sort of turned and slinked off, there was no skittishness. It was very natural, wild behaviour. Yeah, and that thick coat begs questions, but, well, this is Britain, and a bit like the Amor Leopard has a thicker coat because it needs to in colder climes of Russia, would they sometimes evolve a, a sort of a shaggier winter coat option here? 
Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It just all depends on, like you said, if you know how long they have to evolve or how quickly that would happen. But it would make sense, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's something that doesn't get reported much. I've had it very few times, a thicker coat. But it's interesting you made that judgment because you saw the wind on it. So we'll look out for more of that from other witnesses and other guests we have on the show. You were mentioning before you came on that it'd be nice to hear more from the Sussexes. Well, maybe, you know, we just say now if anybody else has any reports from Sussex and would like to come on, and I'm sure we'll have Charlie Bones, the recorder from Sussex, on in the future as well. Please get in touch. And if you find out anybody yourself, Joel, do nudge them in our direction. It'd be nice to hear. Yeah, definitely. The more info, the better. Great. Thanks ever so much, Joel, and um, do keep in touch with anything more you get from that area or beyond. Will do. Like I said before, thank you very, very much for having me. Just to clarify that I checked with Joel about his efforts to film that military plane he was talking about. He said he only ever got the sound of it recorded, as he was always too late, even though he was camera ready and knew the time it was due. Since the interview we've just heard, I've learnt that Joel is a talented artist and we can see one of his pieces on the Big Cat Conversations website. It's a really classy picture, full of atmosphere. It depicts a black leopard in a jungle scene with eyes watching it from the vegetation behind. It's like a combination of stained glass and mosaic, so it's a striking, colourful picture and so nice that it can grace our website. It's under episode 34 on the Refs and Links page So thanks, Joel, for letting us all see that and the clever way you've done the rosettes for a black leopard, which is difficult for an artist, I suspect. Joel and I were discussing Word of the Week for this show and we're actually going to cover his specific suggestion in a future episode because it's a highly relevant point which relates to cats that jump and leap well, like servals, as we discussed, lynx and caracals. Joel's suggestion is about cats' ability to land on their feet from high leaps and drops And this is called the innate writing reflex. And it's an automatic response that corrects the body's orientation, allowing cats to land on their feet when they fall or jump to the ground. Kittens begin to use the reflex at approximately three weeks of age. They master it by the time they're seven weeks old. And of course, pumas and leopards sometimes leap from high onto prey. So it's relevant to those cats in their predation mode and also relates to the flexible spines and cursorial nature of cats that we discussed with Frank Tunbridge in episode 25. The running order for our next two episodes isn't quite sorted yet, but we have another episode coming on the links, including a witness report, and inevitably we'll consider the issues about reintroducing links to parts of Britain. We'll be discussing that with author of a recent splendid book on links, David Hetherington. For a separate episode, we have interviews covering Wiltshire and Berkshire in the south of England, and in that one we also talked to a witness from Gloucestershire who, with her husband, watched a puma carrying off a rabbit in its mouth, and you might have heard about that in the press. She and her dogs have experienced the puma a second time since that incident. Finally, just a reminder of the excellent Big Cats podcast from Australia, which is Missing Panther. It's full of interesting things that are relevant to the scene in Britain. The latest episode, episode 5, The Hawkesbury Files, is a gem, or as our Aussie friends might say, a ripper. So, Missing Panther is recommended for your podcast playlist. Righto, we're signing off for episode 34, so a big thanks to our guests Amy, Louise and Joel. If you want to get in touch on anything, you're very welcome. My email is rick at bigcatconversations.com. 
Great to have your company, everyone, and look forward to being back with you next time. Thanks for listening. Take care and bye for now.